Picture number three, a stain that won't come off. A stain you can't get out. Verse 22, Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord. You're trying to wash the outward man, the outward woman, but the stain is very deep. The stain is right there. You can't even shout it out. The stain that won't come off. Where is the stain of sin permanent? On the heart. So what mankind does is we say, no problem, I'll sin now, and I'll clean up later. I will, I'll get drunk now, but tomorrow morning I'll throw it all up, take a good shower, clean up, and go off to work. No one's going to know the better. Everyone will think I'm fine. You know, I will have a one-night stand now, but I'll just make sure I change my clothes before I head to work the next day so that no one knows, and we'll just clean up the outward, and everything's fine, and the stain is there. The stain has not gone anywhere. We can fool each other most of the time. But God sees that ugly, dark, messy stain and it sticks to the heart and it's permanent but for one thing. What can wash away my sin? And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only His blood. And His blood gets into your heart and washes that indelible stain away. Praise the Lord. He goes right through the outward appearance, doesn't even mess with the outward appearance, be it phony religion, you know, or, or self-righteous philanthropy, the world's way, the, the, the religious way. He goes right past that. He goes straight to the heart, which is the main issue. By the way, the heart is another key word in Jeremiah. Across the book of Jeremiah, you're going to see this word used 55 times. Because God is concerned with the heart. The heart is what matters to God. Brothers and sisters, don't play games with Him. If you have sin in your life that you think you can clean up on Saturday night and not show to any church people Sunday morning, if you think you've got some sin that you can hide away, you're fooling yourself. Because God looks directly at the heart and He knows exactly what's going on. And what He's saying to you is not, I want you to be guilty. He's saying, I want to wash you clean. But until you're willing to admit that you've got stains on your heart, there's nothing He can do. We're keeping Him at bay. Jeremiah 4.4, He says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 4.14 Wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jeremiah 29.13 I'm not going to read all 55 right now. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 52 books in Jeremiah, 55 times he's going to talk about and go to the heart. Picture number 4, verse 23. 
Picture number four is, an, is animals in heat. Pictures of backsliding. Remember, all of these are pictures of someone who's backsliding. You know, be it the stain that won't come off. You're backsliding. All you got to do is give your heart to Jesus. He'll wash it. The stain that won't come off. The, the choice vine. You want to be a vine that produces? Stop the backsliding. Come to Jesus. You will produce. The harlot. <laughs> you want to be a... I said this on Sunday. In fact, I said a second service. If you were here first service, I called Israel a slut. And I chose that word on purpose. Because Israel had gone into harlotry, God called them a whoring nation. And then God turns around and calls them the virgin of Israel. And it's absolutely remarkable. The only one who can make a virgin a virgin again, a virgin a second time, is God. Only God can do that. And so if you would stop the backsliding and return to Him, He'll bring about virginity of spirit again. It's unbelievable. And then, number four, animals in heat. This one's kind of fun. How can you say I am not defiled? I have not gone after the veils. Look at your way in the valley, verse 23. Look at what you've done. You're a swift young camel entangled in her ways. So there's the camel entangled in her ways. A wild donkey accustomed to the wilderness that sniffs the wind in her passion. In the time of her heat, who can turn her away? All who seek her will not become weary. In her month they will find her. When a female donkey's in heat, the male donkey's going to find them. Trust me, they will find them. And he says, You're like a young camel, you're like a female donkey, you're like animals in heat. It would almost be funny if it wasn't so condemning. The young camel in heat that is just nuts, just running back and forth and getting tangled up in his own legs because he's out looking for, passionate for, another camel to take care of the whole heat business. The word entangle there, by the way, that says a young camel entangling her ways, sarak in the Hebrew, and it means to twist or to crisscross... And the picture is going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Judah was so excited to get out to her foreign gods, she's crisscrossing from one foreign god to another, from one high place to another. From the high place out here to the pagan temple at Tel Moza, wherever they can find these pagan gods until her legs get all tangled up and down she goes. The wild donkey, what a picture there. Not only does the wild donkey in heat go looking for love in all the wrong places, but she attracts other donkeys. You know what backsliding does? It attracts other sinners to you. It draws, it invites sinfulness from other places. And at first that feels really good because now you're not alone. Now you're sinning with the gang. Judah was attracting idolatry. Judah was attracting idol makers from the pagan nations. Hey, we can make some money in Judah. They love our idols. Let's go there and build them. They were attracting purveyors of paganism. Verse 25, God says, Keep your feet from being unshod and your throat from thirst. This is an offer. As the Lord is saying to the donkey of Judah, Let me at least shoe your hooves. Let me get you shooed because you're beating your feet up 
jumping back and forth here. He says, your throat from thirst, let me water your thirst, camels. (laughs) Remember the shoes of the children of Israel never wore out over 40 years of wilderness wandering. Did you know that? Here's an amazing verse. Deuteronomy 29.5 I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. There's a miracle you don't talk about a whole lot. How many of us pray for the miraculous wonder of shoes that never wear out? You know I've been wearing these shoes since I was 17? It's a miracle. It really was. Their sandals didn't wear out. And God says, let me at least give you good shoes. Let me give you something to drink. What is, what is He referring to? I think the idea is getting our thirst quenched and our feet headed in the right direction. Heading back to the Lord from whom we have slidden away. But listen, and don't miss this. Here's the danger of backsliding. This is the great danger of backsliding. Verse 25 going on. But you said, it's hopeless. No, for I have loved strangers, and after them I will walk. The danger of backsliding is eventually the backslider gives up. Haven't been to church in six months. It's not even worth trying now. They don't want me there. God doesn't want me there. I am too far gone in my sin. There's no coming back. I'm hopeless. I'm too messed up. I'm too much a sinner. This is one of the devil's most devastating attacks. Hopelessness. God couldn't possibly forgive me. Listen, you're not as great a sinner as you think you are. You are not the chiefest of sinners. Paul claimed that one. You have not done the worst, the most heinous thing in the world. And I'll tell you what, even if you had, it wouldn't be too much for the grace of God. Hopelessness is of the devil. Hopefulness comes from the Spirit of God. And He would even say to you tonight, if you feel like you're on that slide, you're not sure how to turn this around, first of all, reject hopelessness. Turn to the living hope, who is Jesus, who would bring you back. By the way, it is hopeless to try and save yourself, but it is never hopeless just to turn around and say, God, save me. Isaiah 45.22, God said, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. But there's one more picture of the backslider here. Picture number five, a thief caught in the act. A thief caught in the act. Verse 26, As the thief is shamed when he is discovered, so the house of Israel is shamed. When you see that phrase, the house of Israel, it means Judah and Israel. Northern Kingdom is already gone. But the people are not. God knows exactly where His people are. And He's talking about all, when He says the house of Israel, it's all 12 tribes. It's the whole of Israel. But you're shamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, there's the leadership again, who say to a tree, you are my father. That's stupid. And to a stone, you gave me birth. (laughs) Stonehead. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. That is backsliding right there. Turning your back to God rather than your face to God. 
But I'm ashamed. Then turn your face to God and let Him wash away the shame and offer you forgiveness and redemption and cleansing. It's what He does. They've turned their back to me, not their face, but in the time of their trouble, they say, Arise and save us! (laughs) I've never done that. I'm sure you haven't. God, if you say, if you get me out of this one, I'll do such and such. But where are your gods which you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you. In the time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. You want to know how bad it was? Count the number of cities in Judah. That's how many pagan idols they had. Unbelievable. Money. Sensuality. Success. The environment. The physical body. All of these things that are idols of America, these were idols in Judah too. They had names. They had little representatives. But they were the same idols. The idols of Israel are the gods of America today. And we cry out, Oh God, save us! The towers are coming down. God, save us! And there's a a huge surge of church attendance for about two months after 9-11. Huge surge of church attendance after the school shooting in December. Save us, God! And a week goes by, and two, and we're right back to the idols. And God, in essence, when He says, where are your gods which you made for yourself? Let me, let me give my translation of that. It's as though the Lord is telling you to let the God of money buy your way out. You have a God of money, let Him save you. See if He can come up with enough cash to get you out of the problem. Let the God of sensuality bring you pleasure. Let the God of success prop you up. Let the environment come to your need, to your need, the trees and the rocks. Let them save you. You know what the trees do when I talk to them? Nothing. They're trees. What? <laughs> Let the God of fitness give you strength. Is Rick about to go off on gym membership? No, no. <laughs> be healthy. Just don't be nuts. <laughs> be healthy, but understand, as healthy as you get, you're still going to die. Or be raptured. But your health isn't going to make any difference on either one. Don't make gods out of these things. Well, verse 29, going on. Why do you contend with me? By the way, Judah was contending with God long before God said, I will contend with you. Why do you contend with me? You have all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. In vain I have struck your sons. They accepted no chastening. God says, yeah, I gave them spankings. Yeah, that was from me. But they wouldn't receive it. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. Judah, Judah who was supposed to be the lion, is eating their own. O generation, heed the word of the Lord, verse 31. Have I been a wilderness to Israel? Have I been a land of thick darkness? Why do my people say, We roam, we will will no longer come to you. You know, if Fleetwood Mac was there, they would say you could go your own way. You know, just we roam. We do our thing. We don't need. We don't need church. You know, I don't need church. You know, to be spiritual. Let me do my own thing. Why do you keep saying this? God says he is exasperated at his people. You know, as you read this, it, the thought kind of struck me. 
God gets exasperated. He, he does. He's astonished. As he's bringing this judgment to Judah, he's just going, I, I can't even believe what I'm saying to you. I can't even believe what you're doing. I'm appalled. I'm astonished. And I'm thinking about that today going, does God get astonished? Didn't He know this would happen? So why is He surprised? I'll tell you why. There's pain in the prophecy. There's heartache in heaven. It's not that God didn't know. What's astonishing Him is the breaking of His heart. He knew this was coming. He knew it would happen. But He is astonished. He is expressing emotional pain over the choices of His people. Don't think for a moment that when we sin, it doesn't hurt God. It brings an ache. It is painful to the Lord. When we rebel, He hurts. He knew you were going to do it. But He aches when we do. Such is the level of God's passion. Verse 32, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? And yet my people have forgotten me days without number. He's drawing back. Israel, remember you were the virgin. You're the one I fell in love with. You were the beautiful young woman and you became my bride. And you've completely forgotten about our first love. How well you prepare your way to seek love... Interesting, now you're chasing after love, you're going for love, just not our love. Therefore, even the wicked women, you have taught your ways. Also on your skirts, oh man, this is tough. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. You did not find them breaking in. What's he talking about here? It's a stunning accusation. Let me read verse 35 and I'll explain. Yet you said, I am innocent. Surely his anger is turned away from me. Behold, I will enter into judgment with you because you say, I have not sinned. The lifeblood of the innocent poor is on their skirts. What does that mean? The innocent poor is not just poor people. It's the poor innocence. You are murdering innocence here. You Bible students know this. The god Molech required child sacrifice. Infant sacrifice. Newborn babies sacrificed on this burning hot, molten hot iron idol that would be heated up. Molech's belly was a furnace. Heated up. And the live infant placed on the red hot arms of this idol until it fell into the furnace. And the people of Judah would do that. And I can't even imagine us doing something like that in America today. By the way, on January 8th, Planned Parenthood gave their annual report. And they reported having received a record amount of taxpayer support in 2012. Taxpayer money, $542 million of our taxpayer money went to Planned Parenthood. So, so they also hit another record, which they just released. This is for 2011, 334,000 abortions performed by Planned Parenthood alone. 
Let me just say this absolutely clearly. And for those who say, Rick, you should not call out businesses, you know, and you shouldn't give your opinion. Planned Parenthood is of the devil. An organization that murders the innocent poor. And we need to know what's true and what's not true here. And it makes me sick that taxpayer dollars go there at all. 334,000 abortions. That's the innocent poor. Verse 36. Why do you go around so much changing your way? Your way, that word way there is your path, your course, your direction. Why do you keep just waffling? Why do you keep changing direction here? Also, you will be put to shame by Egypt. As you were put to shame by Assyria... Why? Well, right now they're trying to make alliances with Egypt. We'll see that happen during this prophecy. The kings are trying to go down to Egypt and say, hey, you know, line up with us and we'll fight Babylon together. And God says, no, that's not my plan. My plan is for you to go into captivity. You better deal with that. <laughs> but you're going, going down here and you're aligning with Egypt. You're going to be put to shame. From this place also you will go out with your hands on your head. Captive. Put your hands on your head, Judah. For the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust and you will not prosper with them. Let me make this clear. If you would prosper, you will not prosper anywhere but with the Lord. Prosperity is only found in Him. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the prosperity that matters. It's eternal prosperity. It is a life secured, saved forever with Jesus. And you can only get that in the Lord. God here in these closing verses here, is judging alliances with other sinful nations. And I invite you to personalize that. Do you make alliances with other sinful humans thinking you'll find security there rather than entrusting yourself to the God who saves? Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And Paul's not just talking about marriage. Although he is. He's also talking about business. Friendships. Associations. Alliances that seem good and profitable from man's perspective, but God sees them leading His people away from a relationship with Him. Well, Rick, if I don't have any friendships outside of the church, how am I going to see, help people get saved? I'm not saying don't have non-Christian friends. I'm saying don't make alliances. Don't get into a relationship such that you are relying on that person for your financial situation or your security. Or anything else. You rely on the Lord. Now, the first five verses of Jeremiah chapter 3 are actually the conclusion of the message. Let me quickly read them. God says, If a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? But you are a harlot with many lovers, and yet you turn to me, declares the Lord. Now, this may be a bit confusing. What's divorce got to do with a polluted land? Now, I read the verse and I thought, why doesn't he say, will he still return to her? Will not that marriage be completely polluted? But he doesn't say marriage. He says land. So somehow, there's something going on here. A man and a woman marry, and then he divorces her. 
she goes and marries another man. And then they get divorced. And God's saying, and it's like her now coming back to husband number one, don't do that. You can't do that. In fact, it's law. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were looking at marriage in the book of Mark. It is Deuteronomic law. Deuteronomy 24 verse 4 says that if a man divorces his wife and she marries another man and he divorces her, the wife cannot, by Judaic law, by by Jewish law, cannot go back to the first husband. And if she does, listen to what Deuteronomy says. 24 verse 4, Her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord God gives you as an inheritance. That's the illusion that Jeremiah is making, that God is making through the prophet here. Will not that land be completely polluted? He's comparing marriage to the idolatry. You were married to me, Israel. We'll see this especially in Hosea, but I'm your husband, you're my wife. And you've gone off to other gods, other husbands, other marriages. And then you come back around to me and you're saying, it's all good. And I'm saying, no, it's not. Because that would be sin on the land itself. That pollutes the land itself. There is, gang, there is incredible emotional heartbreak going on here. Verse 2, he continues, Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see where have you not been violated? By the roads you have sat for them like an Arab in the desert. And you have polluted a land with your harlotry and with your wickedness. Part of the reason Israel had to go into captivity, God had to get them out of the land, was so that He could clean up the land. And as Jeremiah will tell us later on, He gives them a 70-year sentence, 70 Sabbaths, so the land can rest. So His land can be freed of the pollution of their idolatry. He has to take them out of the land so He can heal the land. And then He's going to bring them back. Verse 3, He says, Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there has been no spring rain. Yet you had a harlot's forehead. You're hard-headed. You refused to be ashamed. See, the harlot's forehead, this is the woman in prostitution who night after night after night is with a different man and she's getting paid for it and ultimately she just becomes hardened. First few times. It's difficult, but I'm, I'm struggling. I need the money, so I'm going to do this thing. But it gets easier and easier and easier until it's just a job. Detached from the body completely. It's the forehead of a harlot. That's what he's talking about. You become so hardened doesn't even bother you. You refuse to be ashamed. How have you now just called to me? My Father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? (laughs) Behold, you have spoken and done evil things, and you have had your way. Verses 4 and 5, I believe he's talking about the revival under Josiah. What had just happened in the land. Right before Jeremiah receives this, Josiah had brought about revival and the people had come back to the Lord. Had come back from their idolatry. But God knew their hearts. And even though there was revival in the leadership in the land, and even though there were people who were revived and came back to faith, the majority of the people in the land, it was just window dressing for the season. Hey Lord, we're back! 
We're back at temple. We're here. Isn't this great? And God says, and you're wondering why you're having problems. And you're wondering why there's drought. Literal drought. Verse 3 talking about why have the showers been withheld. There was literal drought going on there. I, I think the Scriptures are very clear with that. What's happening? Why, why would the Lord withhold the rain? Why would God send such a devastating hurricane? Why would God allow these things to be happening? These, these droughts, and these floods, and these hurricanes, and these tornadoes, and these problems. Why would God allow that in America? God, we're here. Hey, we're here this Sunday. The Seahawks are playing next Sunday, so I'm either not going to go to church or I'm going to go down to Seattle, that church down there. Why would the Lord do this? Why is He withholding rain from Judah? So that they could see how dry and barren life is without Him. They're not getting it. They're not understanding. Judah was a hard-headed harlot. Here's the question. We'll end on this. How do you soften such a hard head? How do you soften such a hardened heart? And I wonder about America. I know I talk about America a lot. This is the country we live in. This is the age that we're in. And the parallels are striking. How do you soften the heart of America? How do you soften the heart of, of even Christians who is getting hard? What does it take to soften a heart? Go back to verse 13 of chapter 2. This is what it takes, gang. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. How do you soften a hardened heart? By the fountain of living waters. That is the only way to soften a heart. What are you talking about, Rick? The Spirit of God. If we would have any hope that the hard heart of American leadership be softened, it would be praying that the Spirit of God intervenes. If you, if I would have any hope of having the hardness of my heart softened, it is only by the Holy Spirit of the living God. The Spirit who is always fresh, who is always flowing, who is always refreshing. There are a lot of hard hearts in the world, gang. A lot of hearts that need softening. A lot of Christian hearts. You know what? My heart gets tough sometimes. Sometimes I've just had it with all the sin in my life and in yours and in other people's and the problems and the phone calls come in and you just get weary and you start to feel your heart's getting tough. I don't want to answer the phone. I don't want to deal with this problem. I don't want to have that situation on my plate And even trying to bear the weight of ministry, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, even trying to bear up as ministers of the Gospel, you might start to find your heart getting heavy and getting hard. How do you soften that? Holy Spirit, the fountain of living water. What do we do? Two things. You stay in the Spirit. You remain sensitive to the things of God. And you pray in the Spirit. Stay in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Seek after the heart of God. This is so amazing to me. The the fountain of living waters. You've left that for old cisterns and they're leaking and the water's stagnant and you're not getting anywhere and it's not doing you any good and you're saying, why have the rain stopped? 
The showers have been withheld. There has been no spring rain. You know what the spring rain is? It's the latter rain. The early rains and the latter rain. The early rains come in the fall. The latter rains come in the spring. What else happened in the spring? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost happened in the spring. And the latter rains in Scripture speak of, I believe, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. And it is in these last days where the hearts of the faithful are getting tough because this is, man, is a tough age to live in. And the hearts of unbelievers are just getting as hard as stone. And the only hope that we have is the fountain of living water. To stay in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Gang, as a church, we do not pray enough. We don't. And the evidence of that is Jackie Shorthouse showing up one Saturday a month for the last year. And most of the time, she's by herself. The evidence of that is when Les calls for prayer for the lost, which, by the way, is tomorrow night. No pressure. And two people come. Two show up to pray. The evidence of that is... Last week, when I and I know it was last minute, so that's my fault. But when on Sunday, a week ago Sunday, I said, hey, everybody in the church is invited. Come join the shepherds. We're just going to pray. Two people came. Now, please don't feel... I'm not asking people to feel guilty. I'm not trying to dump a you know, shame or a guilt trip on anyone. I, I know it was last minute. I know we have things to do. But you know what God is dropping into my heart right now? Rick, you don't pray enough. How do you expect me to release my power in this fellowship and in this area when you don't take any time to pray? When you don't gather to pray? When prayer is an afterthought or it's what comes up when people are sick or hurting or in the hospital. That's We'll pray then. But when you have opportunity to gather and do nothing, well, is there going to be worship that night? Is there going to be a teaching? No, we're just going to pray. Oh, well, that, you know, i got stuff to do. Let me ask you this. Is there anything we have to do that is more important than praying? I'm struggling with this. If we in this season have any hope of having soft hearts before the Lord and seeing the Holy Spirit poured out in this region, it will only be by staying in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. And I, for one, do not want to be a hard-hearted harlot. I want to be a soft-hearted servant of Jesus Christ. Do you? Lord Jesus, I repent. I am so sorry. Sorry for the lack of faith. Sorry for allowing my own busyness to keep me from being in a place of just waiting on You. Father, You know me. I love to be in Your Word. I love to teach. I love to study. I love these Wednesday nights together. I love pouring over what Your Word has to say. I thank You for Your Word and I absolutely believe Your Holy Spirit speaks to us when we study and when we are in Your Word. But Father, it's half the equation. And the other half is simply learning how to listen to Your Spirit. Not as a game, 
but as the real living water that we believers are thirsty for. The living water, Lord, that as it washes over us, will begin to splatter on other people. God, I want to see a revival. I want to see in these days before You come, I want to see people saved. And when I sit and wonder why, Father, we don't see people coming in droves to receive the grace that You have. Well, Lord, I think perhaps we're just not relying on Your Spirit and Your power to bring about Your salvation. And so, Spirit of the living God, I I pray, I ask for not only Your conviction, although we need this, but I pray now for Your presence. And I pray for Your comfort. And I pray for Your peace. And I ask, Spirit of the living God, that You would soften our hearts to love people in this world the way You first loved us. To see people not as the enemy, but to see people the way You see them, as lost and hurting and captive people. To make the highest priority in our lives to be before You, listening and praying and seeking Your will, Lord. And may we simply, Father, go out of here determined to make certain our calling through staying in Your Spirit and praying in Your Spirit. Help us to pray constantly and to bring all of this before You constantly and to trust You with our lives constantly. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.